0: This is the Trails Church podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel, in community, and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 47. Singing has played an incredibly formative role in my life as a Christian. Songs have shaped my theology. Songs have nourished me spiritually. One of my earliest memories of life in the church is of my dad. Before he would get up to preach, he would be positioned on the front row and uh, bouncing up and down on his toes with his eyebrows stretching up his face, singing a little bit louder than everybody else. My mom sat in the choir loft where she sang each Lord's Day. I recall the voices of older saints around me, um, aging hands, trembling voices, singing the great hymns of our faith. At the age of 15, I began writing songs for our church to sing, and I've continued to write songs for churches to sing ever since. I cannot even imagine my life without constantly trying to stretch the English language around some certain truth of God's word or wrestling a melody to make sure that it fits the text being sung and illumines that truth and still seems to make our hearts sore. Singing has played a big role in my life. We've been out the last few Sundays and Uh, Let me just say, first of all, I've missed being with you, and I've missed gathering to worship together, and I've missed singing side by side. Yesterday, I was pointing out how much the subject of singing shaped the trip that we took. Jamie and I were talking with some of our kids, and uh, singing shaped our trip a lot. First, I was in Ireland working on some new hymns. And then Jamie and I, uh, Jamie and the kids met me in London where we went to a church and we sang songs uh, much older than ours, if you can imagine, and in a far more traditional manner than ours, as I know you can imagine. That evening we went to the West End and saw a musical filled with remarkable singing. Uh, We eventually arrived back in Ireland for a two-day event with 8,000 people called Sing, where we sang. And finally made our way back to Holland, where I met with a group of pastors and missionaries from Europe and Africa, where I lectured and preached, but also led in singing. I, I have some fond memories of singing as a Christian, Specific songs, writing specific lyrics, the privilege of leading others in song. Yet if I look back, my greatest memory of singing is right here with you, right here in this cafeteria. It's not the biggest or the most musical (laughs) group, but it's one bound by relationship, bound by covenant. And um, there's a richness when a local church sings together. I imagine you have some fond memories of singing as well. Perhaps there's a specific song that was sung at a funeral of a loved one that causes your heart to choke up when it begins. Or perhaps the theological language of a specific hymn shapes the way that you pray even today. There could be a song that causes you to stand up straight and sing a few decibels louder than normal. Singing is a vital part of the Christian life. As a part of our liturgy each week, we spend a considerable amount of time, maybe up to 30 minutes, singing together. You can't imagine a service without singing, but have you ever stopped to consider why? Why? I want to show you from Scripture why it is so vital the practice of singing, and why you should care so deeply about this practice that we love. My hope is that the next time we sing, and perhaps for years to come, that every time we sing would be with renewed wonder. Really, at the end of this service, I just—the end of the sermon—I just want you to sing. I want you to want to sing, to desire to sing like never before. So, but my shaping question for our time is not just, why do we sing? Let me press the question a bit closer to your heart this morning and ask this, why do you sing to the Lord? Psalm 47 is a call to worship the Lord for his perfect rule and reign as king of the nations. This song is an evangelistic invitation that welcomes the peoples of the world to come and bring their praise to God. These lyrics also point forward, as I hope to show you, to the person and work of Christ the King who condescended in order to perform this great work of redemption that we have received and then ascended to the throne. Where he alone rules and reigns forever. The chorus of this psalm and the main idea is this command to sing to the king, which will be the title of the sermon. And I'd like to organize our thoughts under three headings. First, the blessed command to sing. Two, 10,000 reasons to sing. And three, The King's Royal Choir. Would you stand with me as we now hear God's holy and inerrant word, though written long ago, speaks to us today. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great King over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For The shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. First, let us look at this blessed command to sing, found in verse 1 and verses 6 and 7. You can surely hear the celebration that bursts from these opening lyrics of the song with a list of festive ways to praise the Lord. Verse 1 calls out, clap your hands, all peoples, the sound of applause is seen as an appropriate and called for form of praise to God. Next, shout to God. This shouting rings with delight and rejoicing and exulting in God with the voice of triumph. The clapping and shouting then erupts into singing at the end of verse 1 as songs of joy are called for. Songs of joy. Now, Scripture teaches us to sing through every season of the soul. A third of the psalms are psalms of lament that teach us how to sing through suffering and sorrow. But here, the song fits the occasion. And the occasion is one that rejoices in who God is and in all that he has done, as we will soon see. And so the call to worship in verse 1, is come and praise the Lord with clapping, with shouting, and song. If you'll allow your eyes now to fall to verses 6 and 7, you'll get a sense of this command and why I've chosen to put so much emphasis on it this morning. Intentional repetition is used as five times we are told to sing Praises. In, in Hebrew, there are only six words in verse six, and four of them are translated, sing praises. The chorus of this song, as it were, consists of one repeated theme: a command to sing to the Lord. What the Psalm highlights, and what I hope to show you, is that this is not a divine suggestion given to some of God's redeemed people. It is a blessed command given to all of God's people. Scripture is filled with singing. There are over 50 direct commands for us to sing. Singing is mentioned over 400 times in the Bible. The longest book of the Bible is Psalms, which is a book of songs which are meant to be sung the new testament commands us twice colossians 3:16 and ephesians 5:19 to sing to one another to let the word of christ dwell richly in us as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs zephaniah 3:17 says that god sings over his people with love and gladness Jesus sang a hymn with His closest friends as they shared together the Last Supper. His final words from the cross were a quotation of Psalm 22, a song. Scripture even says, there is an endless song waiting to be sung where at the great feast of the bride and the bridegroom when we are forever united, we will sing together for the Lord God Almighty reigns. The singing God commands us to sing, to join in his work of melody making, of singing truth and beauty. Why? Why has God commanded us to sing? Well, we don't know the wisdom of God in this matter, but I would tend to think he's commanded us to do this because he likes it. I think he loves to hear his people sing. And he's given this for his glory and for our joy. That's why I've called it a blessed command. The text itself contains our application. Sing praises. Let me encourage and exhort you to grow as a singing Christian, as a Christian whose heart is bent on obeying the command of Scripture in singing. And let me also encourage us as a church to grow as a singing church. This is how John Wesley encouraged Christians to sing from the preface of his hymnal in 1761. Sing all. Sing lustily, which means with great affection, and be of good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. Do not bawl so as to be heard above the rest of the congregation, Matt Boswell, but strive to unite your voices together. Sing in time. Do not sing too slowly, above all. Sing spiritually. Sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. So shall your singing be such that the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven. People of the Trails Church, sing spiritually with every word and eye to Christ. When we're gathered together and when you're in your homes when you're commuting to work and when you're going about your life, don't forget to sing to the king. Don't forget to lift your voice in praise to him. We are commanded to sing to the Lord. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Serve him with joy, his praises tell. Come now before him and rejoice. Second, I want you to notice there are 10,000 reasons to sing in verses 2 to 5. Now, you might say to me, Boz, I realize it's the middle of summer, but 10,000 in just a handful of verses, 10,000 reasons, you might want to order one of those take it home math classes and uh, do some learning. But I hope it will become evident to you in a moment what I mean by this. Here we learn that singing is more than a command. It's not less than a command, but it is more. It's something God's people are, in fact, compelled to do. We are commanded to sing, and our hearts are compelled to sing. We get a sense of this by everything that follows the word for. It can be used as a preposition here. It's a conjunction To sing loud songs of joy for, and then comes a list of reasons into view of why we should sing to the Lord. Scattered throughout this entire song are resounding reasons to sing. Some of these reasons are as high as the heavens. Others are as close as your heart. Let's highlight six brief reasons to sing springing from our text. First, our God is the God most high. You see this in verse 2. The Hebrew uses the divine name of God. It could literally be translated for Yahweh, the most high, is awesome. I love that. The focus here is on the universal omnipotence, power, nothing higher than God. He is supreme over all things. He's the God over all creation. And of course, the right kind of reverent, holy fear, which you see in our text, when we consider the awesome greatness of God, is mentioned because He is the one who is most high. The one who is awesome. Our God is most high. Second, our God is the King of all. He's the king of all. The ancient Near East was populated with people who believed many different deities. Molech and Marduk, Dagon and Asherah. And they believed that these man-made gods ruled and reigned. They were kings over certain cities, a certain province, a certain area or kingdom. But no one is like Yahweh. No one is like Yahweh. His throne is not merely situated in Jerusalem. His borders are not bound by the Middle East. He is sovereign over all, over every king and kingdom. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and his kingdom is forever. He is the king of all. Third, the third reason... We have to sing. Our God fights for us. The psalmist reflects on God's mighty acts in salvation history. Throughout its life, Israel had experienced the power of Yahweh from their deliverance at the Red Sea through God's power demonstrated as they, uh, the, through the conquest of Canaan, as one by one their enemies were subdued under their feet. And so they sing praise. To the God who they knew fought on their behalf. Our God fights for us. Fourth, our God chose us. The heritage being spoken of here would include the land where God had placed his people. Yet the greatest heritage that God gave his people was not land, but himself. He was their heritage. His word was their heritage. His presence, their heritage. And here is where the reasons to praise the Lord begin to really plunge from the heights of the heavens down to our everyday lives. Because the God who rules and reigns over all creation, yet also chose to share Himself. He chose this people. Chose where they would live. Chose how they would live. And he chose their heritage for them out of his loving providence. Fifth, our God loves us. Tucked there at the end of verse 4 is this phrase, the pride of Jacob. And this is no small phrase, whom he loves. This is a poetic way of referring to the people of Israel, reminding them to sing because they are the very ones on whom the Lord had set his love. Notice there's a Selah place at the end of this. We take that to mean a small break should be had to meditate on what we've just read. The crescendo of that thought is love of God toward his people. Now take a break and think about that. Yet we must move on. So the sixth reason Given from this passage to sing is our God has ascended. You see this listed different ways. For example, in verse nine, he's the one who is highly exalted. And two, he's a great king over all the earth. But here in five, he has gone up with a shout, he has ascended. And now his goodness and mercy rule and reign over all. So this is the cause, this is the great reason for all of this rejoicing because our God is most high. Our God is the king of all. Our God fights for us. Our God chose us. Our God loves us. And our God has ascended to the highest place. There's nothing higher. There's no one greater. These are remarkable reasons the psalmist lists for us to sing. But he's writing to a people Oh, so long ago. And so, what difference does this make in our life today? What reasons does Psalm 47 give us to sing? Well, we must see that this psalm only reaches its fullest sense of meaning when we read it through the lens of how it points to Jesus Christ. Derek Kidner rightly said of this psalm more than poetry, this is prophecy. What he meant was that this psalm rightly told of the victory of God, of God being worthy of praise, how he is the ascended one who is the king of all, now and always, but how the psalm also points forward to Christ whose scripture also shows us is the one most high, the king of all, who condescended to fight on our behalf, who chose to give us the heritage of his great salvation out of love for us, and who after defeating Satan and sin and the grave, resurrected and eventually ascended on high. So now, Lord Jesus himself rules and reigns, and at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. So brothers and sisters, let me speak to those of you who are in Christ. What reasons do you have to sing? Surely there are 10,000. I know we could count more than six, Can you? This is a wonderful list to begin with. I'm not sure what situation you are facing right now or what suffering you may be walking through. But what I do know is if you're in Jesus Christ, you have reason to sing. You have a reason to sing. The God who rules and reigns, the one who is most high, also rules and reigns over every detail of your life. The God of angel armies, who controls the spiritual realm, is the one who defends and protects you. The very one who ordained the sun to rule the day and chose the moon to govern the night also governs the moments of your days and your night. The God of eternal love, the one who is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit, existing in the perfection of love, has set his love on you. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, he set his love on you. He fixed his gaze on you, not because of anything that you had done, but out of his own good pleasure. He chose you. How can that be proved, you might wonder? Prove it. Look to Christ, I would say. And how, how does that prove that this eternal God who rules and reigns is actually, his heart moves out of love for me? Well, out of great love, God sent his one and only son into the world. And he gave his one and only son to die on your behalf in order to prove the height and depth and length and breadth of God's covenantal, steadfast, never failing, never giving up love for you. And so on the days or during the nights when you don't feel like singing a note, Let the melody of your salvation come back to you and refresh your heart. You have 10,000 reasons to sing and they are all in Christ. Our God is rich in love and slow to anger. His name is great and his heart is kind. And for all his goodness, let us, you and me, people who are bought with a price, the people of God, let us keep On singing 10,000 reasons for our hearts to find and finally let me highlight this last section as we look at the king's royal choir the king's royal choir verses 8 and 9 the psalm begins and ends by mentioning two groups by name which are very important as we consider the thrust of this song One's in verse 1, and one's in verse 8. I'm sorry, in verse 9. The first group we see is called to praise the Lord. The second group we see assembled around the throne of the king, bringing praise to him. Let's look at both. The first aspect of the king's royal choir is the surprising inclusion of all peoples. Clap your hands. All peoples. Peoples, peoples with an S. We don't usually refer to plurality of people with an S. But here, the original language, what this means is that every tribe, tongue, and nation. So who's being summoned? The nations of the world to come rejoice in God, come join the king's royal choir. And of course, we hear an echo of this motive. In Matthew 28, as Jesus sends his disciples on this great commission to go and make disciples of all peoples, tribes, tongues, nations, all invited to come join the song. The invitation still rings out today. Come. Yet we know that not all will come and applaud the goodness of God. Not all will lift their voice in a shout to the glory of God, and not all will sing his glad song of salvation. No, many, many will live and die, and their applause will only be directed toward created things rather than the uncreated one. They're shouting is reduced to menial things like sports teams and concerts or political rallies. Their singing may from time to time include a song about God, but their hearts don't delight in what they sing. Maybe you, you came with a friend this morning to church or a a family member, and we sang a song. Maybe you even lifted your voice, but you didn't delight in anything you sang. And it's because, first, you have not known the salvation of God. You have no song to sing. Oh, but there is a song you can sing. And there's only way to sing it. Come and join King the king's royal choir. How do you do that? Well, the Bible says that there is one God who rules and reigns over all things. And out of his goodness and love, he created all things, including You. But because we're born separated from God by our sin, we deserve to be separated from Him in eternity because of our sin. But God, out of great love, sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that you and I could never live and to die the sinner's death that you and I deserved so that now anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Christ has done it all. Friend, the door is open today, but it may not be tomorrow. So today, if you hear his voice calling to you, if you hear the song of salvation ringing through your heart, do not harden your heart toward the Lord. Run to him. Repent of your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. So there's the people's that are being sung of. The peoples of this world. People like you and me. But there's one more title used that is so stunning to me. I I tried to articulate that with my voice as we read verse 9. Let me read it again. The princes of the peoples gather together as the people of the God of Abraham. Once more. The princes of the peoples gather together as the people of the God of Abraham. Well, there's that word peoples again. So they're not talking about Israel here. These are foreign uh, princes or Gentile princes that come into view. And now it seems to say that these foreign princes are gathering as the people of God. How is that possible? Well, this phrase sends our thoughts backward and also sends it forward. That's what this phrase, the God of Abraham does. First, we go backward to Genesis chapter 12, where God made a covenant with Abraham that through him all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And so here we see this foretaste of that promise being sung of, reminded, pointing forward. They point us to a time now in the future as well, a time that has not yet occurred The psalmist prays that princes of other nations would not be like the nations who rage against God in Psalm 2. Rather, they would willingly, joyfully come and join in the worship of God. As a matter of fact, it's as if these Gentile leaders now are gathered as one people, the people of God. Now, this has been fulfilled somewhat since this has been written through the work of Christ, but not all the way. Even as we look around the room this morning, we see a fulfillment of this. Now, you and I are not princes of foreign nations or princesses of fairy tale lands. Anyone? I mean, if you're here and that describes you, welcome. We're glad you're here. But most of us are just common people. Yet, what is this grace that would welcome us in? Isn't this remarkable? People who were born outside the covenant, drawn in through the blood of Christ. We've become the people of the God of Abraham through what Christ has done. Yet, not all of this has been fulfilled. We're waiting still for a day to come. In this psalm, we have an anticipation of that climactic moment in Revelation In which the nations, all of the nations, will be subdued before God. And we are told the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The day is coming where the righteous judge who rules and reigns will subdue every enemy. And the one who sits upon the throne will execute perfect justice. And toward his people he will continue to demonstrate his perfect love. So what do we do between today and that day? We just keep singing. We keep singing the truths of God's word. We keep singing the glories of Christ that have burned our hearts and turned our lives upside down. We remember that we've been grafted into the King's Royal Choir. So as we think together about the duty and practice and delight of singing. I pray it's with renewed understanding that this is a blessed command. As we look through our lives, we would see and recognize we have 10,000 reasons to sing. And that because of the completed work of Christ, you and I, peoples once separated by sin, have now been drawn near and placed in the king's royal choir. And so what more do we have to do but sing to the king? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 47 and the way that it instructs us, that it exhorts us, that it calls our hearts to exult in the person and work of Jesus. I pray in this moment You would tune our hearts to sing your praise, and through years to come, till you return or call us home, let us be a people found, ready, waiting, expectant, singing of the great day that is to come. I ask all of this in Christ's name, amen thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.